This podcast is brought to you by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined as always by my co-host and friend, Carl Truman, who uh, teaches at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. He writes books. He is really a thought leader and an American theologian. Uh, uh, Carl, do you like that? I mean, are you getting comfortable with titles like that? Um, uh, Oh, dear. Well, as I've said before, and I know she listened because she emailed me, I have to be a little careful what I say because the provost's wife now listens into this program. <laughs> I do love being in America, but I yes. am in it, but not of it at You're this particular in, yeah. point yeah. in time. As to being a thought leader, goodness gracious me, if I'm a thought leader, that indicates the poverty of thought that there is in the <laughs> Western Hemisphere at this Carl, particular moment in time. Carl, would you say your relationship with um, America in, in terms of your citizenship, which you're not yet a citizen, would you say that you're on a journey, though? I would say I'm on a journey to okay. to, imp- to improving America. Yes, okay. I, hey. I think America has been dramatically improved since I <laughs> since I arrived. Uh, I um, really? Do you really think that? How long have you been here now? <laughs> actually, no. I think it's <laughs> it's been trans. All I would say is, yeah, America has been transformed since I arrived. <laughs> right. uh, uh, to the extent that you know, if you guys don't recognize the country you grew up in. <laughs> I don't recognize the country that I emigrated to yeah. 20 years ago. I arrived three weeks before 9-11, what? Oh, just really? before the big change. Okay. Now, I'd lived in America for six months in 1996 when I was yeah. a visiting fellow at Calvin College in yeah. Michigan. So I had some taste of America. Mm-hmm. But I arrived just before the American experiment started to go kind of horribly wrong. Really, yeah, so you've been here for just over 20 years then. Just yeah. over 20 years. I'm, I'm well into my second green card mm-hmm. at this point. And I'm, oh, I, should, I, I am, of course, going to be the grandfather yes. of an American an citizen. American. That's right. Uh, my, my son and daughter-in-law are expecting a child, uh, a daughter. Outstanding. So uh, I'm going to be the the the. She won't be a daughter of the revolution because she no. doesn't go back there. But you know, uh, I, I'm guessing her ancestors may have fought on the other side to you uh, guys if they fought at all in the revolution. So, so really, you, you maybe you would describe your goal here is to make America British again. I think make America British again. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, not having an embarrassing head of state, that's a huge plus <laughs> as far as British go. Uh, we need the Queen to stay alive forever. Right. On that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping uh, that Charles uh, steps in as king just so that you can stop saying that. Yeah. I, yes. Although <laughs> such are the times, such is the poverty of the times that I actually think Charles would still be less embarrassing <laughs> than the alternatives. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, fair, uh, fair, fair it's enough. a day of small things when we come to head of states, man. A Indeed. day of very small things. Indeed. Well, so, our uh, listeners are 
no doubt feeling the pinch right now because they were deprived the opportunity to listen to mortification of spin last week because we have now moved to uh to airing a program every other week and so i do want to say to our uh, listeners we care about you we know that this last week was hard we hope that you weathered it well um i i've been given word that the alliance of confessing evangelicals is adding a hotline um, that on those off weeks you may call and receive some some words of encouragement um uh, you sound about as sincere as one of those robo your call is very valuable to us now hang on the line and we'll get to you in a day or two well i was i was just thinking you know that we could have this recording of carl truman's uh dulcet tones uh uh kind of on, on some sort of a, a, a recording, people could just call, they're, they're missing it for a week, and they could just hear you read the phone book or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that would be, that would be helpful. It, it I think may so. actually bring Americans back together again. It, it could be it could. part of the, the solution to your problem. I, I think that that could be good. Well, well Carl, I mean, obviously, we, we do this uh, through uh, electronic medium, and that means uh, that everything we say on this program can uh, potentially be heard by anyone on the planet. Um, now, given that mortification of spin uh, uh, is a threat to no one and that we are uh, nothing but the gentlest sort of good citizens, we don't have anything to fear. That said, uh, on a serious note, we do live in a very odd age. I mean, we're dealing with things because of the progress of information technology. We're dealing with things and having to ask questions that no previous generation of humanity has ever had to ask or deal with. Now we can say that about a lot of things, but but um, the uh, the the way that information is accessed, the way that technology is used today, does a lot of good things. But there are some scary parts of this. Uh, just knowing um, that everything you say is out there and it can stay out there. I mean, I, I was I was I've talked to several managers and owners of businesses over the last couple of years who've talked about the fact that now a part of oftentimes how companies will uh, will check on people who who apply for a job is they'll they'll find their social media footprint they'll check and see if they've got a twitter account or a facebook account something like that and to see how they behave now you know that's a pretty good idea actually um, but it becomes a lot so a lot more sobering when we think about the fact that um, Certain groups, um, agencies, bureaucracies, uh, politicians um, can access um, and make certain judgments about sermons that are posted online, for instance, or certain um, opinions that are not popular posted on social media and that that kind of thing. Um, Carl, what do you think about uh, in, in terms of what the church has to be thinking about? Because, you know. Churches that, that run 50 people are online now. I mean, rare is the church that's not posting sermons online. Yeah. Rare is the Christian that is not, you know, <clears throat> posting articles, um, which would be uh, uh, horrific to certain cultural elites in the day. Um, I, I, think, I think that the church is going to have to start having conversations about potential um, outcomes, negative outcomes for them as a result of the, the, the readily available material from them um, out there in the hands of people who have the influence and the power to hurt them if necessary. So yeah. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think on the whole, at this particular moment in time, probably many churches practically 
don't have much to fear on a week-to-week basis at this yeah. point. To many small churches flying below the radar. I think, you know, if you're John MacArthur, if you're Tim Keller, if you're John Piper, if you're somebody with a high-profile name, then things you say are inevitably going to, to have a higher profile than, you know, Pastor Smith down at the corner of the road in the small town in the Midwest or something like that. So in practical terms, I suspect at this particular point in time, most churches will enjoy the privileges of a kind of anonymity. But I do think that, hey, well, any church can pick up a a weird internet stalker, uh, for example. Um, I mean, it's, it's known that I've, you know, I've been sort of cancelled a couple mm-hmm. of times, uh, speaking at things that were not exactly big and high profile. And, and I put it down to the fact that, well, I've written enough online that I picked up a couple of crazy people. Yeah. And I'm aware, you know, crazy things happen in my life every now and then that indicate mm-hmm. to me there's somebody crazy out there trying to, to get at me if they can. And, and I yeah. think if you're unlucky enough to pick up one of those stalker types, then life can be made very difficult. It's very clear that, uh, from my own experience, that the assumption is guilt until proven innocent. Yeah. In that everything, you know, the two things that I sort of got cancelled for are now available online. There was no, you know, the, the platforms ultimately had no problem with anything I said. Yeah. It's just they they flipped the switch as soon mm-hmm. as just somebody out there had made a, a groundless complaint. So I think you need to be aware of that. More significantly, I think, is that churches need to be aware that the problem isn't just going to be coming in terms of the pastoral letter that gets posted online or the sermon that's posted. Um, Big tech is now becoming, uh, I won't say uh, the, the total way in which reality is mediated to us, but a pretty comprehensive way in which reality is mediated to us. Um, We order things from Amazon. Uh, I'm having my bluegrass banjo lessons each week, (laughs) and I pay my bluegrass banjo teacher through Venmo. I go home after the lesson, and I press a button on Venmo, and money shoots from my bank account to his bank account via Venmo. Uh, I get paid uh, for some of the things I do by Zelly. I... Very rarely, if ever, go into a bank now because I do all my banking right. online. I don't even have to go into bank a check. You know, we can just photograph a check and bank it now. Right. Uh, we are becoming increasingly dependent upon technology for pretty much everything. Right. And when you connect that to how churches operate, it's it's not impossible to imagine a scenario developing where, you know, let's say the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, identify your church as a hate group, or something happens that brings your church, tiny little unknown church in the middle of nowhere, to the unfortunate attention of the national press, which is is quite possible. Uh, And one of these e-commerce companies decides it's no longer going to service your organization. It's no longer going to allow you to uh, receive donations online. It's no longer going to process your checks. What happens then? And I think that that's where the majority of churches should be worried. Because, okay, I, I think for most of us, we'd say it's good to post sermons online, 
But the church survived many, many generations without posting sermons online. We don't need to post our sermons online. We can be a good local church and care for our people without necessarily having a website where we uh, post ideological charged material. Mm -hmm. But it's almost impossible to be any kind of organization today if you're cut off from e-commerce, for example. And I think that's where the pinch could come. Mm -hmm. I think churches need to be thinking about well, what happens if technology in general turns against us? Not just the YouTubes or the Facebooks or the usual suspects. What happens when the whole show decides to exclude us? How are we going to manage that? Right. And, you know, never put anything past a zealous politician or a zealous big tech CEO. So uh, you had, I mean, you know, let's face it. uh, Donald Trump is banned from Twitter, but the Taliban are not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of a... Yeah, Ryan Anderson's book is banned from Amazon, yeah. but... Ted but the Kapsinski Taliban are not. Yeah. And camp are not. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, it was interesting. This has probably been about four years ago. Um, the then lesbian mayor of Houston, Texas, fourth largest metropolitan area in the country, raised quite a few hackles when she announced that uh, she wanted um, the churches in the Houston area to send... Uh, the uh, the text of their pastor's sermons to the mayor's office so that they could be reviewed for hate speech. Mm. Um, and this made a little bit of national news for a little while. Of course, it made tons of news in Houston. She eventually backed off from that, but not initially. When the challenges first started coming in, she stood firm on the need uh, for uh, pastors to submit their sermon texts to her office so they could be reviewed for hate speech. Now, you can understand what um, a left-wing lesbian mayor of Houston, Texas would consider hate speech. Now, uh, the point is, is that, again, the mayor of the fourth largest city in the country thought that was a good and proper thing for her to do and did, and she probably still thinks it was, even though eventually her office backed off from that. Now, the next mayor who suggests that, it's going to be a little bit less outrageous. Yeah, in fact, I... And on and on. I would say this could be an interesting impact of the pandemic, because Mm -hmm. if you can make the case that hate speech damages somebody's mental health, we've now already set the precedent of of sort of biopolitics. You you claim a state of exception and you you can police health or you can police the aspects of health that you Mm -hmm. choose to police. We've already seen that being done. Uh, And I think, you know, if, I don't want to plan the strategy for these people, but if <laughs> I was the gay mayor of somewhere and wanted to try to pull this off, I would play public safety and public health rhetoric. Yep. And I think I would stand a much better chance post-COVID yes. of making that case stick than this mayor four years ago. Four years ago, that's like an eternity in our contemporary situation relative to identity politics specifically and politics more generally. Right. So I would I would not be sanguine at all about a, uh, a a solid First Amendment defense being made of that right. kind of thing. Right. And and since we've ceded so much authority to the state as as health professional as yeah. a protector of our um, mental and physical health, um, as you said, uh, an argument for the speech of this pastor or the speech of the pastors of this particular denomination 
is is a danger to public health. Um, that doesn't even sound outrageous to me anymore. It would have maybe ten years ago. Not anymore. I can I can picture I can picture lots of very prominent politicians saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's a left right thing. either. I'm a big believer that politics is public relations Mm -hmm. and politics is to an extent consumer driven. The politicians have to say what they think the voters will like to get the vote. So I have no confidence that 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 uh, we will see a a major defense of religious freedom by the Republican Party at this point. I hope I'm wrong, yeah. but we're, I'm not we're seeing, super confident yeah. of that. We're seeing it from certain members of Congress. We are yeah. seeing it. There are guys like James Langford from Oklahoma yeah. and others who are who are very outspoken on the issue. Um, but that said, um, you know, the politician's first job, the office holder's first job is to get reelected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're in a, you know, if you have a constituency that that has a robust understanding of religious liberty, then it's yeah. It's good ideas, you a politician to, to defend religious liberty. But if not, if if you um, if you represent uh, uh, the congressional district uh, within which uh, San Francisco resides, then uh, uh, being pro religious liberty is not going to serve you well politically. No, and Nancy no. Pelosi has certainly found that out. And when it, to bring the sort of conversation back to big tech, big tech is a big funder of politicians. In Absolutely. The United States and elsewhere. Because yeah. big tech has a vested interest in legislation. Right. So, again, I think uh, for, for your typical church person, don't just assume that it's Ryan Anderson being kicked off Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's not just the high profile guy. I think that big tech could well put the squeeze on churches uh, in, in many, many different ways and, and do so in a way that will not necessarily call forth an immediate defense from our elected representatives. Right. Uh, and, and part of the problem, part of the challenge is that the vast majority of churches are not, quote, big churches. The vast no, majority of no. churches are under 100 people. Yeah. And if and if a pastor um, and his one part time employee who yeah. takes care of paying the bills gets a, a notification from Venmo or whatever, that they're no longer going to be processing yeah. any payments, that, that, that this bank is no, you know, that the, the service yeah. that, that uh, allows them to, uh, to do online banking and, and uh, uh, th- that sort of thing is no longer going to be servicing them. Um, you know, pastors probably in most of those churches don't have easy access to an attorney or the no. funds to hire an attorney. And that's why there's some good resources out there that would be useful for pastors to know about. Um, yes. What, what are some of those places that, that pastors need to be familiarizing themselves well, with? Well, one place I would say is the Napa Legal Institute, which is, I think it's, uh, it's primarily a Roman Catholic organization, but it's interested in legal questions relative to religious freedom in the church. They produced uh, a couple of reports on uh, the impact of big tech on religious organizations that I think are available on the web. We can certainly try to get the, the links for those mm-hmm. and have them embedded in the, uh, the, the blurb for this podcast. Yeah. Um, I would also suggest uh, the, the Ethics and Public Policy Center mm-hmm. has a big tech project, and you can sign up there for uh, Claire Morrell's uh, weekly big tech briefing. Claire is a young woman. She and her husband uh, are members of Mark Devitt's church, I think, in Washington, D.C. So you can go to to the EPPC 
uh, .org and sign up there for their weekly big tech briefings that I think not all of it will be relevant, but it, it gives you an idea of the kind of thing yeah. uh, that's going on. And also, I would suggest that when, you know, when big tech come knocking on your door or when anybody comes knocking on your door challenging what, what most of us would regard as, as basic First Amendment rights in, in, in the United States. Remember, there are groups that take on uh, legal defense, yes, often pro bono. That's uh, right. The, the Alliance Defending Freedom, yep. uh, which is, is, is it's sort of the Alliance Defending Freedom is in some ways a little bit the, like the, the evangelical or Protestant equivalent to the Napa Legal Institute. Gotcha. Um, there's also the Beckett Fund. Uh, the Beckett Fund is uh, non-partisan uh, religious. You know, the Beckett Fund will defend religious freedom. You could be a Hindu, a Muslim, whatever. The Beckett Fund uh, takes on particular cases. I think they tend to take on precedential cases, so they don't take on everybody. They take on the cases that they think are going to provide landmark uh, rulings in right. the sphere of, of religious freedom. But the Beckett Fund is also one to, to be aware of. So I would say good thing for pastors and elders to do at the moment is is to start thinking about this. Have a sort of contingency plan. Mm -hmm. Many of us 10 years ago started to put together contingency plans about what happens if and when gay marriage is recognized under the yep. Constitution. What do we need to have in place now to make sure there are some lines of defense mm -hmm. relative to that? I think start thinking now about, well, how could big tech really start to turn the screws on my small congregation? Right. Uh, what things can we put in place now? Who do we need to speak to to get advice on the kind of prophylactic measures we could be taking in mm -hmm. order to to protect or defend ourselves? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, five years ago, um, we you know, as, as we were talking more and more about transgenderism, that the changes that have taken place um, occurred much quicker than most of us thought they would. I mean, we knew the changes were coming. We knew the revolution was going on. Um, but, but, you know, keep in mind and not just transgenderism, but, uh, the, the, the sexual, the new sexual revolution, you know, in order for Barack Obama to have been elected in both 2008 and 2012, in both of his presidential campaigns, he had to say that he was not in favor of gay marriage hmm. in order to be elected. He was That's a bit more ambiguous the second time around. A bit more it, ambiguous, it, but still shifting. He still had to, yeah. and, 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 and transgenderism has, has come along like, like like yeah. the tsunami. And so the things that we're saying here about big tech and the potential problems, I, I think it's going to be here a lot quicker, just like all of these things, a lot yeah. quicker than yeah. we would anticipate. It really depresses me how often uh, my friend Rod Dreyer <laughs> is right. proved right. Right. Yep. yep. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I don't take much persuading that things are bad, but I read Rod and I think, well, they're, they're bad, but they're not that bad. <laughs> a week later, oh, yeah, they, they really that are bad. that bad. Yeah. And in fact, speaking of big tech, you know, his last book, and, and he was a guest um, uh, for us on, on this program on, on concerning his, uh, his last book, Live Not By Lies. He has a lot to say in there about technology. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, going back to the you know, various stories coming out of Eastern Europe from the 1960s. And now it's just, you know, yeah. far, far worse. But uh, his book, Live Not By Lies, has a lot of warnings about yeah. th this alliance between uh, big tech and, and government yeah. and, and the threat that it has for religious liberty. Yeah. And I mean, that's the big challenge, I think, for uh, political philosophy in the next generation. Mm -hmm. and that typically, we've assumed that 
government was the problem relative yeah. to freedom of speech and private industry was the answer. Right. Private enterprise is the answer. It's now becoming clear that private enterprise is driving this and private enterprise is the problem. Yep. Are we seeing the death of democracy and national governments in this new globalized technological economy? That's a discussion for, for another day and, and a much bigger, broader discussion. But we and, are- And, and also, w- go ahead. I was going to say, we're in unknown territory with no obvious answers at a national it's level. It's brand new. Yeah. And, and to, to just remind everybody also that in terms of the church being pressured um, by the world, that part isn't new. Um, we can, uh, uh, we need to be sober minded. We do live in a, a country that has the, you know, ostensibly the rule of law and, and, and our, our rule of governance is a document, uh, rather than, than a person. And so Christians need not be shy at all about appealing, uh, to the rights that our governing documents say we have and Christians should appeal to that. that, that that's yeah. justice. That's, that's, a, that's biblical yeah. justice um, to appeal to the proper authorities. And so Christians don't ever uh, let anybody talk you into appealing to your rights as a citizen of this nation is somehow not Christian. Of course it is. Um, and and th- that, that said, uh, Christians also need to know that we live in a world, we need to be reminded that we live in a world that does much injustice. Mm. And um, even if things go as bad as Rod Dreher <laughs> thinks they're going to go, um, uh, we do not lose hope. And that's why I like Rod's uh, differentiation between optimism and hope. He calls himself a person who's not optimistic, but he has hope. And yeah. I think more yeah. and more American Christians are going to have to understand the difference between those yeah. things. Yeah. Well, it's been another depressing episode of the podcast. Uh, yes. (laughs) Live on that for two weeks. The world is going to hell in a handcart and there's nothing (laughs) we can do to stop it. But God is on his throne. Jesus will return. uh, And we will at some point see the consummation of all things. So uh, don't forget uh, that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is to come. Do not lose sight of the promises. Do not lose sight of Christian hope. In the meantime, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and this week you will have a chance to enter to win a copy of a book that uh, has itself been subject to an attempted cancellation, and that is Senator Josh Hawley's book, The Tyranny of Big Tech. Uh, I read the book recently, and, and I was half expecting a a major partisan tirade. Actually, I was very, very impressed with the book. It's not partisan at all. It's a very thoughtful and intelligent take on the role that big tech is beginning to play in our society. So please go to our website, enter for a chance to win. If you don't win, I would heartily recommend that you get it from your local library. Uh, or order it. I was going to say from Amazon, but maybe order it from somewhere like bookshop.org where the money goes to local bookstores. Uh, but it's a, it's a book worth reading. If you want to be informed of what's going on, I would say it's an excellent place to start. While you're visiting our website, uh, please uh, feel free to make a donation. We are a listener-supported podcast. And all that now remains for me to do is to thank you for listening today and to say that we look forward to joining you in two weeks' time. See you then.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. This is Eric from Reformation Sites. Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever set foot in the door? So how is your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new website for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected to the church and to one another. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as Sermon Manager, online bulletins, courses, events, and notifications. It also integrates with other popular services like Sermon Audio, live streaming, and online giving, with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of October, we're celebrating Reformation Day by offering 25% off the website setup fee. Use coupon code REFDAY21 to redeem this offer when you go to ReformationSites.com to get started. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern reformation.